Welcome, ladies, to the online Bible study. This week we are studying chapter 3 of the book of Esther. Now, notice how chapter 3 starts off after these things. The same as chapter 2 did in verse 1. So, to see what things we need to look back, we need to look back to chapter 2. So, last week we left off with Queen Esther being crowned and Mordecai saving the king's life. The commentators say that there are four year span here. Now Esther has reigned as queen and Mordecai has been tending to the king's business at the gate during this time period. And in verse 1, now we are introduced to a very wicked man. His name is Haman. Let's read verse 1. It said, After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. So, what do we know about Haman? He is identified as the son of Hamadatha the Agagite. Now, archaeologists have uncovered an inscription that indicates that Ag was also the name of a province in the Persian Empire. So this probably explains why Haman was called an Agagite. Some commentators say that he was a descendant of the Amalekite king Agag, as we see in 1 Samuel 15.8. It says, He also looked, took Agag, king of the Amalekites alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. If Haman was an Amalekite, you can understand his hatred for the Jews. The Amalekites were longtime enemies of the Jews. The hatred goes back to Esau's hatred of Jacob, as we see in Genesis 27. For the Amalekites were descendants of Esau, as we see back in Genesis 36, verse 12. Now, any attack of the Jews by the Amalekites was simply a continuation of the great conflict between Jacob and Esau. Also, we need to note that many centuries prior to this anti-Semitism problems in Persia, the Amalekites had come under the curse of God for their cruel act upon the Israelites when the Israelites were in the desert after fleeing Egypt. So this divine curse commanded that they be blotted out. And that's in Deuteronomy 25 verses 17 to 19. So Moses here has reminded the Israelites of the Amalekites treacherous act before they entered the promised land. It was Saul, the first king of Israel, whom God commanded to destroy the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 15, and he failed in his commission. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. It says, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. 
Verse 17 says, A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. We can see these characteristics in Haman throughout the book of Esther. Now knowing a little bit about Haman and his background, we can now see how he is a very dangerous man. Not only does he have an extreme hatred for the Jews, but now let's look at the position he is now promoted to. Let's continue in verse 1. It says that he was promoted, Haman, the son of the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes whom were with him. Haman was promoted by King Ahasuerus to be prime minister of the Persian Empire. Now, as prime minister, Haman was the second highest ranking official in the government, second only to the king himself. Now, can you imagine a person with this much hatred and anger towards the Jews and now he is put into a position of influence and authority? This kind of person in a position of leadership can only spell disaster. What people do with authority is a test of their character. Do they use their authority to promote themselves or to help others? Do they glorify themselves or do they glorify God? Daniel was given a high position similar to Haman's, but he used his authority to honor God. And help others as we saw in Daniel chapter 6. Now of course the difference between Daniel and Haman is that Daniel was a humble man of God. While Haman was a proud man of the world. So you could see why Haman would not be glorifying God. Haman was honored by all the royal officials of the empire as we see in verse 2. By order of the king himself, all the officials were to bow in honor and reverence before Haman when he passed by. God permitted Haman to be appointed to this high office because he had purposes to fulfill through him. In Romans chapter 9 verse 17, it says, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Let's look at verse 2. It says, And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded and concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. This position definitely went to Haman's head. 
Imagine everyone bowing down to you. But now, Haman's pride is about to be tested. Notice that Mordecai does not bow to him. Now, let's look at verses 3 through 4. It says, Then the king's servants, who were within the king's gate, said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened, when they spoke to him daily, and he would not listen to them, that they told it to Haman, to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. Notice here in scripture, that it doesn't say, that Haman noticed Mordecai not bowing. It was the king's servants that went to Haman to tell him that Mordecai wasn't bowing, and they informed Haman that Mordecai stated that he was a Jew. Can you believe what tattletales? At first you think, okay, they're trying to advise Mordecai to bow to protect him, to keep him from being imprisoned or even executed, for not bowing to the prime minister. But then they turn around to make themselves look good and they go and tell Haman about Mordecai. And then in verse 5, Haman sees for himself that Mordecai isn't bowing and it made him filled with wrath. Mordecai did not bow to Haman and it made Haman furious. Remember, what we said about anger, it gets you nowhere. Some say Mordecai did not bow because Haman was a Malachite, and the Amalekites were enemies of the Jews, as we stated earlier. Now, as a Jewish man, if Mordecai bowed down to Haman, he would violated the covenant obligation of obedience to God above all other alliances. It says in Exodus 20, verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me. Mordecai, Esther's guardian, cousin, and a government official, refused to bow before the prime minister. Now, obviously, he was a man of strong principle and courageous determination, for he adamantly refused to give Haman reverence due to God alone. Mordecai didn't want to make the same mistake his ancestor King Saul had made in being too lenient with God's enemies, as we saw back in 1 Samuel 15, because Saul compromised with the Amalekites. He lost his crown. But because Mordecai opposed them, he eventually gained a crown, as we will see when we get to chapter 8, verse 15. In Haman's anger, he not only sought to execute Mordecai, but all the people of Mordecai, the Jewish people. Let's look at verse 6. It says, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, and they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole empire 
of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. Now, keep in mind that the extermination of the Jews would mean the end of the Messianic promise for the world. Now, you know God's not going to allow that to happen. The reason God promised to protect his people was so that they might become the channel through whom he might give the word of God and the Son of God to the world. Haman was bitter, and he was filled with bitter hatred flooding in his heart. He made a deliberate decision to take revenge, not only on Mordecai, but also on the Jewish people as a whole. His plan was to slaughter all the Jews throughout all the Persian Empire. Now, certainly, God had put Mordecai and Esther into their official positions so that they might save their people from annihilation. After making the personal decision to exterminate the Jews, Prime Minister Haman immediately began to plan just how to carry out his devious plan. Haman, he could have reported Mordecai's behavior to the king, right? And the king would have imprisoned Mordecai or perhaps even executed him. But that would not have satisfied Haman's lust for revenge. Let's follow the steps in Esther chapter 3 verses 7 through 15 that wicked Haman took as he executed his plan to destroy the Jewish people. First, in verse 7, it says, In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast Pur, that is the lot, before Haman to determine the day and the month until it fell on the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. So first, he selected the day. Many of the people in that day took very few steps without consulting stars and the omens. The Persian people were very um, superstitious people. They would consult their gods in making decisions for their lives. As we see in, in Ezekiel 21 verse 21, a century before, when King Nebuchadnezzar and his generals couldn't agree on a campaign strategy, they paused to consult their gods. So here is Haman. In the first month of Nisan, casting lots to, de to dictate the date his attack against the Jews. Haman used Pur, a Babylonian word for lot, to decide when the Jews should be killed. Later, we will see that Pur is used to derive the name in the Feast of Purim, which the Jews celebrated the victory over Haman. Now, it's interesting that Haman began this procedure in the month of Nisan. That was from April to May. This is the very month in which the Jews celebrated their deliverance from Egypt. The month chosen by the lot, it says, was the twelfth month. 
So that you're looking at is about February to March. So it's almost a year later. Little did Haman know that the true and living God was in control of this situation. The Lord who created and controlled the universe was in control of the lot casting. The Lord was moving behind the scenes to defeat the wicked plot of Haman. In causing the lot to fall on the twelfth month, the Lord was giving the Jews a whole year to get ready for the attack. A year in which events would bring about the deliverance of the Jews and the death of their archenemy Haman. You can just hear Haman going, are you sure you want to go that long? It's as if he wanted instant. He wanted to see them annihilated now. But the cast was lot. And he had to have it on the 12th month. Second, in verses 8 through 11, he requested the king's permission. Notice what it says. Then Haman said to the king, Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces and of the kingdom. Their laws are different from all other people's, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay ten thousand talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it unto the king's treasuries. So the the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money and the people are given to you to do with them as he seems good to you. So now, the date is set. And now it is time for Haman to take his plans to King Ahasuerus to seek permission. Notice in verse 8 that Haman did not identify the Jews in these verses when he sought permission to annihilate them. It says, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the providences of your kingdom. He simply informed the king that there was a certain race of people who were obeying their own laws and disobeying the Persian law. Of course, (laughs) Haman was over-exaggerating. The Jews had not rebelled against the Persian law. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah had encouraged the Jews to settle down and build a new life, being good citizens in the land to which they had been taken captive, as we see in Jeremiah 29, 4-7. This is how wicked and sneaky this man is. Did you know that Haman is called the enemy of the Jews five different times in the book of Esther? In chapter 3, verse 10. In chapter 7, verse 6. In chapter 8, verse 1. In chapter 9, verse 10, and verse 24. He 
was inferring at this particular time that it was dangerous to allow these certain people to remain for fear of political disturbance and uprising. Think of this dangerous man and what he's doing. He's trying to get this by to the king without letting him know what he is up to. Then we see in verse 9 that he requests a decree to be written that cannot be destroyed. To ensure that the king will accept, he sweetens the deal. And what does he do? He offers 10,000 talents of silver. Now, 10,000 talents of silver, Warren Wiersbe brings out that according to the Greek historian Herodias, the annual income of the entire Persian Empire was 15,000 talents of silver. So when he offers them 10,000, that's a lot of money. Ladies, 10,000 talents of silver equals to approximately 2 to 3 billion dollars in our time. That is a lot of money. Haman was a very wealthy man. Can you imagine the hatred he had for the Jews that he would offer this kind of money? He definitely wanted to make sure that the king authorized their annihilation. At this time, you have to remember that the funds in the empire would be low due to the wars. So Haman knew it would entice the king. Then in verse 11, we see the king's response. The money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. Now this would sound like he's saying, keep the money and do with the people what you want. But that's not what's being said here. Following the oriental customs of that day, King Ahasuerus politely rejected the money. But it was the custom for the person who had made the offer to insist that he allowed to pay or follow through with what he had discussed. So basically, the king was stating that he would accept the money and that Haman could go and do what he wished with the certain people who were rebelling. King Ahasuerus willingly gave Haman, the enemy of the Jews, his signet ring, which empowered Haman to act with royal authority. The ring was used to seal official documents. It was official. It was so foolish for King Hoajuerus to do this. He gave Haman total control and empowered him where he could write anything he wanted, place the royal seal, and it became law, not to be changed. Can you imagine giving a wicked man free reign to do whatever he wanted to do? This is a clear sign for disaster, and yet King Ahasuerus didn't see it. But this was true to form for King Ahasuerus, for we have already seen how he acts out of anger, out of drunkenness, 
and he listens to unwise counsel. And then we see that he regrets it later. Now, King Ahasuerus didn't think about the consequences of handing over his ring to Haman. It is always better to think before we act. Think before making decisions and make sure that we are receiving godly advice. We need to think about the consequences of our decisions, that it doesn't just affect us, but it affects everybody around us. And in this case, it affected a whole nation of people. Verses 12 through 14 shows that he immediately spread the word. Let's look at that. It says, Then the king's scribes were called on the thirteenth day of the first month of a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded to the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province, to the officials and all the people, to every province according to the script, and to every people in their language. In the name of the king Ahasuerus it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. And the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's providences to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is a month of Adar, to, and to plunder their possessions. A copy of the document was to be issued as law in every providence, being published for only people, and they should be ready for that day. Having received permission by the king, Haman immediately set out to formulate the decree to exterminate the entire Jewish race. It was translated into the dialects of all the people throughout the vast empire. The swift messengers were sent to carry it into all of the providences. Warren Wearsby brings out that in verse 13, the words of the law are similar to the instructions Samuel gave to King Saul when he sent him to destroy the Amalekites in 1 Samuel. The one important difference was that Saul was not permitted to take any of the spoil, while Haman and his helpers hoped to plunder the Jews and accumulate great wealth. The annihilation of the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, was to be done in one day. Notice in verse 13, it says, In one day on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, then in verse 14 it states a copy of the document was to be issued as law in every providence being published for all people that they should be ready for that day. Isn't it interesting in ancient times how fast Haman was able to prepare, translate, and distribute this decree. He had a passion and he went after that passion. Just think of what we can do with technology today to spread God's word. 
if we but had that passion that Haman had as a hatred and we turned that passion into spreading God's word and living to glorify Jesus Christ, it would really make a difference. Then we close chapter 3 with verse 15. The couriers went out, hastened by the king's command, and the decree was proclaimed in Shushan the citadel. So the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Shushan was perplexed. Having just issued the decree to exterminate a whole race of people, the two men sat down to drink. Can you imagine the wicked, evil hearts these men had? They were totally callous, insensitive, and uncaring about the action they just taken. And notice at the end of the verse, but the city of Shushan was perplexed. They were confused by the decree that had just been received. Can you imagine what was going through their mind? What caused this decree to go through? Why are they going to annihilate the Jews? What did the Jews do to them? Who would be the next group of people to be annihilated? There was confusion, fear, and alarm filled the many populations. Haman may have thought he sealed the death warrant for the Jewish people, but in reality, as we see later in the scripture, Haman actually sealed his own death warrant. Now later in the book of Esther, we are going to learn of the Feast of Purim, which celebrates their victory over Haman. The Jews everywhere. Haman personifies everybody who has tried to exterminate the people of Israel. Jewish leaders around the world read the book of Esther during this Feast of Purim to excited crowds in the synagogues. Each time the reader mentions Haman's name, which is 53 times in the book of Esther, The synagogue erupts with raucous noise. Some commentators even say that the people stomp their feet and exclaim, May his name be blotted out. They are trying to drown out his name with their uproar. Haman may be a very wicked, cruel, hard-hearted person, but he cannot thwart God's plan. Before this plan was ever established, God knew, and he set Esther and Mordecai in position to be able to stop the annihilation of the Jewish people. You remember Joseph's brothers? They meant him harm, but God used it for good. Remember, God is always working behind the scene to protect his people. There are billions of lost sinners in today's world. Under the sentence of eternal death, they are standing in line with you at the grocery store, at the post office, in your family, at work, and may even be sitting next to you in church. But how often do we notice them? How often do we miss opportunities because we are not open to the voice of the Lord speaking to us to say something to them? And how many times do we hear that voice of God, 
but we still don't say anything. How often are we afraid of how someone will react if we mention Christ? We can all say we have missed opportunities. Hudson Taylor had a heart that was groaning in agony for the lost in China and sought out to do something about it. His ministry to China still goes on today. Ladies, we are living in the end times, and you've heard me say this a lot. We need to have a heart for the lost. As Haman set a decree upon the king's authority to seal the death of the Jewish people, Satan has decreed the death of the human race. He doesn't want us to be saved as Haman didn't want the Jews to be saved. We must be available like Mordecai and Esther where to save those who are destined to eternal death. Now we will continue next week in Esther chapter 4 as we continue to see how Mordecai and Esther react to the news of the decree. Until then, God bless.